Welcome to Crossing the Chasm, a sound physician's podcast covering a broad range of topics relating to diversity, equity, and inclusion in healthcare. And now, here's your host, Dr. Greg Johnson. Welcome back. Nelson Mandela once stated that the youth of today are leaders of tomorrow, and that's particularly applicable with this episode uh, and guest of Crossing the Chasm. Marcia Ladipo has a tremendous story that I find inspirational. And quite honestly, while I said in a prior episode uh, and introduction, how much fun I'm having in meeting and interviewing um, some of these individuals. In many instances, I continue to be amazed and inspired by what individual efforts there are out there, particularly in healthcare, in uh, ensuring that there are uh, opportunities not only to um, develop initiatives um, towards uh, improved outcomes for uh, patients in healthcare, but um, also just unique ways to be able to lead within the space. And uh, I am absolutely amazed by um, this guest uh, and the fact that she is a manifestation of what we've addressed in so in so many prior episodes of this podcast, that science, technology, engineering, and math or STEM programs extended into earlier education can result in an individual who brings something meaningful to the table so early in her career in healthcare. Uh, I'm not going to do too much spoiler alert or too many spoilers with respect to this because I think listening to not only her story but her uh, early activity in identifying ways to address health inequity uh, is truly remarkable, a story that should be uh, heard and amplified. And uh, I look forward to um, seeing more of what she does. And I look forward to you all enjoying this particular episode. All right. Well, welcome back to Crossing the Chasm. And for this episode, I am pleased to be joined by a pre-medical student, Mercy Oladipo. Uh, Mercy is a joint major, and you'll have to tell me if that's a double major or <laughs> what else that means, in computer science and molecular biology at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Uh, and I came about hearing Mercy's story from a uh, uh, an, a news article that her school gave um, specifically about her work uh, in health equity. I'm not going to do a spoiler because she's got plenty to say about that. But welcome, Mercy. Thanks for being here. Hi, thank you for having me. Um, yeah, I think that was a pretty good intro. Joint major, everyone asked me that. It's not a double major. I think double majors are probably like way more impressive having to do like all the computer science and all the biology. Basically, it's about half of both, and then you do a little bit at the intersection of it. Um, but yeah, so I just graduated uh, from MIT in a couple, couple weeks ago, which is very exciting. So now I have a degree and not a major, <laughs> which is a long time ago. Bravo, coming. bravo. Yes, thank <laughs> you. Um, and yeah, so I've, like, like Greg said, I've been doing a lot of work around health equity 
I guess for a little while, particularly right now around Black Latino health, um, working on an app with my co-founder Ijoma called Birth by Us. And we're actually probably going to launch very soon, maybe next week. So whenever this drops, just go check it out. Um, yeah, if you're pregnant, postpartum and Black, it's for you. <laughs> So before we jump into this, because I'm absolutely fascinated and uh, and just completely in awe of the fact that you've you've already come up with this, tell us a little bit about your story. Like, how'd you end up doing what you're doing, and uh, and how'd you, um, yeah, just tell us your story. How you ended up doing what you're doing and landing where you where you are currently. Yeah, I I guess my story. It's probably hard. It's probably pretty long. It's okay. <laughs> we like long time. stories. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I was born and raised in Chicago, Illinois, um, by my two parents, both of whom are Nigerian immigrants. And so if you've heard anything about like that lifestyle, education is very important, very stressed. They're both teachers and now they've kind of changed their career path a little bit, but education in households was very important. And so I think from a young age, I was always interested in computer science. Well, not maybe, maybe not computer science, but like STEM in general. Um, I think specifically what helped me is I did a lot of programs around STEM that actually reached out to like Black students, women students, things like that. And that really helped me get in the fold, I'll say. For example, I did Girls Who Code in um, high school and that really helped me understand like what is computer science and actually saw as a career path for myself, which is like a direct reason that I decided to study it um, when I got to MIT. So that's some of why I'm just in like STEM and such. In terms of equity and health, there's a couple different reasons. So for me with the health specifically, I feel like I've been a patient in like every single setting. Like growing up, I had um, really bad eczema. So I was seeing dermatologists from like age two and I still see them now, but luckily it's became better over the years. But from that experience, I kind of wanted to be one, a doctor, which is why I'm still pre-med. Cause I felt, and I was really weird cause everyone's like, we're gonna be in the, I wanna be a pediatric dermatologist and not anything else. <laughs> so it's like, okay. <laughs> I didn't know then that like derm is like the hardest one to pick anyway. I was just like, I'm gonna be derm. Cause like, duh. Um, <laughs> my reasoning was partially because I felt like as a patient, oftentimes the doctor's talking to your parents more than you. And it makes sense when you're like five, maybe 10, but when I'm like 13, I'm like, it's my skin. Like, let's talk to me about it. Right. Yeah. And I think I really wanted to use my lived experience, um, with having, I guess, like a chronic illness as a provider, um, specifically with kids. I think I kind of understood what that felt like. I've also, I have like allergies, I have random highs. So I've been to that side of things. I have my own experiences with um, fertility and things like that. So I've been through not OB, but gynecology and uh, reproductive endo, endo and things like that. So I think I've seen a lot of medical specialties from a patient perspective and I kind of want to see the flip side of what that would look like as a provider. And I think overall, like my main motivations is like, I just saw a lot of areas that we can improve empathy in terms of helping patients. I've had a lot of providers who I felt like were very, I don't say crass, but just like very quick. Obviously you have like 15 minutes, they say, and it really felt rushed a lot of times. Right. And I didn't feel that positively as a patient. So even though I'm sure there's like structural issues that we need to resolve in terms of, you know, what your hospital said you have to do or insurance, things like that, there's still ways we can, as providers, or as providers can um, help patients feel like they matter, even with limited time and limited resources. So I really wanna be in healthcare to implement that side of things. I guess it's kind of also like with the computer science, it all kind of ties together in a weird way of like the app can also help you feel valued and important, even though that's not a clinical or medical device. 
And overall, my whole thing in terms of going into MIT and doing CS and bio was the major I like what I've wanted isn't really a thing anywhere, I feel like. I just wanted to like use computer science and create software for healthcare applications, which is what I'm doing now, if that all works out. But that wasn't really a major. It's like you could either do CS and just do that, which is too much systems and like testing and bugs. I didn't want to do all that. Or you could do bioengineering, which is more, you know, you have the lab pipetting, or you could do biomedical, which is making like prosthetic arms. Also didn't really want to do that. So I think at the end of the day, like doing CS and bio helped me make my own path, which I'm happy with, obviously, because I'm doing it now. Yeah. So you know, that's uh, it's terrific. And you just ran down probably like five or six different things, and most people are like, oh wait, you can do that too. Uh <laughs> <laughs> This is an amazing story. So, I mean, you, obviously you're incredibly bright and talented. It's great that you've really like, it's examples of like, hey, here's STEM programs that ultimately led to somebody that's in, like is fully ingrained into, um, you know, a, a STEM, not only major, a degree, again, congratulations, but, um, you know, now producing um, applications that are meaningful to patients. So tell us a little bit about Birth by Us because uh, we're we're going to talk about it here and we're certainly going to put it in the link, but tell us what it is and, and wh why you decided to come up with it. Yeah, so essentially right now, the United States and other countries, but the U.S. at a particularly terrible rate is just dealing with a maternal health crisis across the board. So when you actually look at the data from the CDC, you can see that um, black, or maternal health in general, there's been a lot of maternal mortality rates that are on the rise in the United States, and it's really just incomparable compared to other um, developed nations. I don't know the exact number off the top of my head, but it's just like ridiculous in terms of what, how the U.S. is doing versus France, Germany, places like that. And then when you actually look into that a little deeper, you see that it's really disparate as well, where Black women are dying at crazy high rates, and not even just dying, but maybe you didn't die, but you still had a really traumatic experience. And so I think that's also the problem of a lot of attention is on mortality, which is important. You know, we saw, for example, an Olympian just died last week right. from um, pregnancy complications. And so it's like, you're really not immune to having a bad outcome if you're a black woman at the end of the day. Cause we see also, you know, if you're educated, if you're rich, it doesn't change your disparity level. And that's also something that's really scary for a lot of people. And I think part of the issue is in terms of actually talking to stakeholders. So Myself and my co-founder, we interviewed like 150 people on the problem to understand, you know, you've given birth, what was it like? And what was the biggest pain points you experienced? And a lot of people said, you know, I felt rushed. I felt like I wasn't heard, I wasn't seen by my provider. Or they felt like what they were given in terms of resources was very one size fits all. Of, okay, you're pregnant, here's a little pamphlet, bye, right? And that doesn't make you feel valued as a patient and also doesn't really help you in the moment. We also know things like warning signs are often missed by providers. Specifically, if you're a Black patient, maybe you're saying, I have a headache, and they're like, okay, um, that's fine. Just like take a Tylenol and see you later. That's actually not fine. It's preeclampsia. And now right. you're like coming in at the ER, you know, how many weeks later, and now everything's going poorly. So that was a long spiel, but that's kind of let's set the scene that the U.S. has a lot of problems um, in terms of maternal health. And again, like really desperate specifically towards Black women. They do them as well, but as a Black woman, it's kind of my focus and giving back to my community first. And so what the app does, essentially, it's trying to be a guide for Black women through pregnancy and postpartum. And what that looks like is a couple different ways. So one is resources that I mentioned earlier. People right now feel like they're just giving, giving a pamphlet, 
quick one size fits all. It doesn't really fit their needs, their abilities, their community, things like that. And so we're trying to create actually culturally competent resources. So articles, videos, podcasts, and listing up the works already out there. But at the same time, writing things specifically for the Black community. And we even have like personas we operate with that fit kind of the main issues that we grapple with in the community. For example, food insecurity, um, things like that, or issues of domestic violence or community problems. We, we created personas around these things. And so we know that we write an article where I can tell someone, oh, okay, like you're having a tooth with nutrition. Why don't you go to Whole Foods and buy something? There is no Whole Foods, right? So it's actually just trying to keep it real, I guess, um, and help people understand what they can do with what they actually have as the main thing. The other um, key innovation is that we, in the product, there's warning signs. So basically how it works is that as the user, every day you're filling out a little quiz, very short, around your mental health, your vaginal health, pain levels, really those big areas for pregnant and postpartum women. And then the app can tell you, I won't say like a medical device because we're not, you know, <laughs> FDA regulated, <laughs> but it can at least alert you when things really look off. So for example, like you have a headache that's, and you also have some other problems on the side of that, those together can be a bigger issue that you might not see if you're just thinking about everything um, separately. So I think a big part of it also to help people realize that specifically in pregnancy postpartum, this whole perinatal journey, everything's connected. And like, you can't think of a headache or shoulder pain as isolated events. It's all related to being pregnant and they all should be treated with, you know, that kind of sense of urgency. Um, I think the other issue is that as black women, we don't really take time in our days to be like, hmm, you know, how am I doing? Who's doing that? I'm not, <laughs> I wasn't <laughs> prior to making the product. And so that's also part of the, the goal is to actually help Black women get into a routine of checking in on themselves. Because I think that's also very powerful of now it's not just, okay, I know something's wrong, but you actually have a sense of what is your baseline. So you can really advocate for yourself when you go to a physician and say, this is really wrong because I'm typically not like this. And it's more so like giving you the language to use for providers. Because it's one thing to go to a doctor and say, I have a headache. Another thing to say, I've had a headache, level five pain you know, for the past 10 days, coupled with so-and-so, you know what I mean? Like really come with the evidence. Because unfortunately, that's what you oftentimes need to really get your voice heard in those types of settings. So there's a couple of different areas. We're working on a couple of features also, but that's kind of the high level right now. It's, it's awesome because as a physician, I'm sitting back and listening to what you've done. And one of the things that we've always highlighted on the show is like, hey, like taking, you know, abstract concepts like medical literacy and just saying, no, everybody uses a device, you know, e e even people mm -hmm. that may not be able to afford a lot of things yeah. still typically have a device, putting it in their hands. So that way you're facilitating, you know, you're helping them better communicate with the physician. You're helping them to educate on, this is a problem that you should mention to your physician because we see so much in the literature about, you're right. The fact that um, a lack of cultural competence is in, is is a lot of people ignoring cultural cues and saying, "Hey, look, do you, <laughs> they're going to blow off a headache." No, you're right. Pregnant patients, we don't. We don't write off headaches. We mm. don't write off shoulder pain. We don't like people are like, uh, you know, oh well, you're always nauseated and vomiting when you're a pregnant patient. No, no, not right. necessarily so. And you're providing again, a patient-based tool that is doing all of these things. So that that's, 
it's so tremendous and it's really exciting um, that uh, that it's doing. And uh, again, as a physician, I appreciate it. This is not an medical advice and this is not a doctor. You need to talk to your doctor. <laughs> right. That's the biggest thing. It's just telling you, hey, this is abnormal. Let's call someone who really knows what they're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. So this was this was a project or this was a um, because with the minute that you said, oh, you look at the CDC data. And I was like, I have two college age sons and I'm sitting there thinking to myself, do they know what the CDC is? No offense, guys. But, <laughs> but I was sitting there going, I don't know how many people that I know in college that actually look up CDC data. So it was it, it started yeah. off as a project. Yeah, kind of. So it started off more like a passion project, I guess. Basically, um, I would say like maybe fall 2020, around that time, I guess in the beginning, I was doing my own stuff with like fertility and that kind of realm. So I was Googling like black motherhood and those kind of key terms. I'm thinking I'm going to see, you know, positive images, uplifting news. Of course I did it. I saw everything that death. was, like I said at the beginning, the data and the death. <laughs> exactly. So that was a problem. Um, and then there's an opportunity because um, we're still kind of in COVID in that time the opportunity to go to Northern California and live in like a hacker house of sorts. And so I was like, this is cool. I'm going to be at home at MIT, which is still kind of closed off, whatever, or in California, making some new friends in a more contained environment. So it's not just like a rampant COVID overhaul. So I chose to do that. I applied and got in. It's called Women Ignite. I don't think we're still doing it, but it was a really cool opportunity. And basically their idea was Right now, tech in general has been kind of like an old boys club. So why don't we make that for girls? And so they got together 20 college age girls from across, I guess, the continent, because it's over from Mexico and Canada, a bunch of different schools in the US um, and those two countries, and then brought us together in the middle of nowhere, Northern California. And basically, we were working on all different projects and kind of thinking about the, the, the problem is really just use tech to change the world and then just go. And so I came in already with the problem of Black Women Health in my focus, but I didn't know what I wanted to build. And so through that program, we did a lot of customer discovery. Mind you, I was also still in school. So I was like taking classes, we're, we're doing house chores, also doing customer interviews, which is just like calling a bunch of Black women that I knew or I could reach and asking, you know, how was it like being pregnant and what's it like giving birth? It's very interesting because I, I mostly use the MIT network for that. And it was like, I'm interviewing professors about their birth journey. And it was also bad. So I'm like, this is crazy. Like you have a PhD, MD, et cetera, and you're still, you know, not being listened to, you're still being shrugged off. So that was really the motivation. Um, and then I was able to pursue it further with some funding from different MIT sources, like the Public Service Center, um, and then ESG, which is my, living, my learning community. Um, and so that really helps just like actually fortify things. And from there, we actually refined the product after, or the idea really around doing, after doing more focus groups. Um, we kind of just been going since then with planning things out, wireframing, and now we've actually finished development and just really excited uh, about what's, what's coming next. That, that, that's incredibly cool. Jay, I see you like sitting at the edge of your seat, like waiting <laughs> to ask a question. And he knows better because I will just talk your ear off. So, so. What, what I see what you're ready to ask, so go for yeah. it, man. Oh, I mean, there's a lot to ask. I think um, similar to what Greg was saying with, with his sons being college, I, I used to be a teacher for 10 years. So, you know, I, I think it's really rare to see a lot of, you know, late teens, early 20s having coming from a place of empathy, driving, kind of seeing, seeing a need and having that drive. 
And I guess, you know, first question, I'm just wondering, you know, to kind of understand the maybe you know, you you had an idea and you saw it, but somehow it came alive and became something that really drove you. And mm-hmm. I'm wondering if you can kind of maybe talk a little bit more about that. I'm just trying to understand. It's it's really rare and unique to hear someone. Yeah, you know, I'm 40, and it's like only now is is some of the these things kind of like clicking in my head. So to hear yeah. someone like half my age, <laughs> you know, doing doing that. I feel like for me, that's a good question. And honestly, I probably don't like give myself enough credit for that kind of thing because it kind of has been like. I don't know if it's been like the norm for me or something, but I, I will say, I feel like I've always had kind of like a passion project or something like that, even since high school. So in high school, I, you know, I was in Carl public schools with Whitney Young and we did science fair, I did science fair um, every single year. And I think I was really used to just like having a project that's like a longer term thing, like a year long thing that I'm gonna invest in. And I wanna kind of just think scientific method, I guess, of like hypothesis, result, outcome, present you know what I mean and so I think that was my main thing was coming to MIT of first year I wasn't really doing research I was mostly just taking classes and doing extracurriculars and I really felt like lost in a sense of like what's my project like what's going on and honestly part of it was because like I ended up doing a research project after that and it was cool very good opportunity but it wasn't my project and so it was tough because I wanted to like look at things differently or see different parts of the data set and that data set just didn't have a lot of black people or whatever the problem was or specifically didn't have any black mothers and they said something like, okay well I don't really care about the question we're asking anymore I'm kind of over this so I wanted more autonomy and control I think um over the project I was doing and and with that again like that can help me because I can choose to tailor it towards a community that I resonate with oh sorry because <laughs> I think that was the big thing of actually yeah just like wanting more control and similar to how I did in high school with having a project that was my own and that I could shape. And I think kind of like your second part of the question was how, what kind of, what has helped me keep going, I guess. Part of it is because different stuff along the way, I was getting validation in terms of like one funding <laughs> to keep going. Obviously, a lot of time. And I don't actually like pay myself for this project because I feel like, I guess it's kind of like service in a way, but I also just really want to see it through. So that's kind of how I keep going. There's funding for the actual project itself. So that, that's good. There's no expenses on my end for that. Um, but yeah, I think also what's been really helpful to keep going is that in every step of the way when we do like we launch ads or we talk to actual like friends or customers, everyone is just really excited about the product. And I don't want to let anybody down. And also I think I see the potential of how much good we can do. I don't want to like just not launch or something like that, you know, because everyone's waiting on it and I know it can really help people. So for me, kind of what I kept saying to my co-founder and other people that asked him, like, oh, when are you going to stop doing it? I'm like, if I just hear some one person say like, birth by us taught me this, or this happened by us, I would just keep going. And, you know, it just, it's good to hear those kind of like validations, I guess. Oh, that's awesome to hear. Um, and I guess, gosh, I'm trying to think like, there's, my mind is like going to like 18 different questions. I'm just trying to think <laughs> a little bit. Uh, I guess tied to, tied to those questions, I'm kind of curious with, with your other peers, do you feel like, I guess I wonder, this makes feel like I feel like I'm saying Greg and I are kind of like the old guys here. But I know, this, am an old guy. Like I'm not, I'm not, I'm, yeah, I can't even shy away from it. <laughs> do you feel like that that drive and and also that empathy, all those different components that kind of take you where you are? Is that do you feel like that's a little bit more reflective of of new generation? Do you feel like your peers are a little bit more kind of driven that way? Cause I definitely feel like, you know, at 16, 17, 20, 25, I was definitely just worried about myself and my bubble. There wasn't a real sense mm-hmm. of like, 
trying to drive change for others, even you know beyond maybe two people in my sphere. It was very, very small. So it's just interesting to kind of you know see how. Yeah, that's a good question. I feel like I haven't really thought about it in terms of like if maybe Gen Z is like somehow more compassionate. I think across generations, there's probably just selfishness in different bubbles here and there. I don't know. But that's also interesting because I think, for example, one time, I think a couple months ago, I won the project, won some kind of award. And I was like, thank you. But also I was like, is it really that remarkable? I don't know. Maybe it's kind of what I'm saying of like, I don't give myself enough credit, but I do feel like having a passion project or like doing service should be more of the norm. And so while it's good to be celebrated, it's also like, why would I just be sitting at home doing nothing? <laughs> like, it's just so confusing to me sometimes. Um, but I also think what's been, what was really good about MIT was that everyone was really driven. And even if someone didn't have like a passion project or like a startup or a company, they were doing something else that was like really like, in my eyes, outstanding or like at least above average. And so that really helped me also keep going of like, my friends aren't just sitting at home doing nothing. They're either, at least they're peace setting, right? And so that was really helpful. Um, I felt like just to keep things going and kind of keep me motivated as time went on. Well, you you deserve uh, all of the validation, and it's it's appropriate to be su- supported in this. And and thank you for challenging all of our biases uh, about the generational differences because <laughs> your 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 energy and, and your enthusiasm for the project is absolutely infectious. So, so Jay and I have been sitting here just like pummeling you with questions. We want to take a step back and it, the floor is yours. What questions, uh, it, it, what questions do you have for me? Um, you know, whether it's specifically about DEI or medicine in general, what, what you got? I guess, so one thing's interesting. So basically I took a class, I think it was last, junior fall, so maybe a year and a half ago or two years ago, um, is reproductive biology. And so I was the only undergrad in the class. It was like a med school class. And they were talking and they had like one quick lecture, maybe like 10 slides on the maternal health crisis. And then I asked the students around me, okay, like, what do you guys think? Was that enough? Like, do you now feel equipped to go and like care for people based on this? And they were all like, no, like it's not enough, but you know, what can we do kind of thing? So I guess my question is for you, in terms of thinking about medical school, um, like the actual school of it all, how do you feel like they've been doing in terms of incorporating um, DEI, incorporating diverse trainings specifically for like diverse populations? Has it gotten any better? Yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> it's like five podcast episodes. Um, and, and I think the general opinion, because we we actually had in a previous episode, we had the, the uh, director for diversity, uh, equity, inclusion for the... <laughs> for the accreditation, uh, the accreditation council for oh. graduate medical education. So, but one of the challenges that he even highlighted, and, and I'm in full agreement with him, is we're still not doing enough. Um, there is, um, there still, what was it? I, I was on a, a meeting the other day with the American, uh, the Association of American Medical Colleges, and the startling statistic A was, well. Tons of articles now coming out saying that we see better outcomes with um, racial concordance. Mm-hmm. There's still too few um, underrepresented minorities in the medical school, and there's still too little education simply about the ongoing health disparities in 
all aspects of medicine. And um, so then the question became, well, how do we incorporate this in? And in which case everybody was like, well, if we keep incorporating this in, med school will go from four years to like six for us yeah. to squeeze all of this stuff in. So what are we going to do? Because making med school longer actually exacerbates the existing yeah. healthcare delivery crisis. Because as you uh, hopefully know, there's a massive physician shortage in this country. Mm -hmm. um, so I hope you, you know, get out of pre-med into <laughs> med school because we need you in there. Yeah. Um, I, I think that how med schools are doing, I think it, it's like anything else. It's a spectrum. Uh, I think that there are some institutions that are trying to push this along and finding ways to better incorporate the, um, the learning. Um, and so we're taking it from mere cultural competence of you should be generally aware to, hey, these are all um, these. This is the way you can apply it into your practice in terms of working with patients. You know, how are you going to make sure that you're communicating patients with effect, uh, effectively? How are you going to make sure that you're doing everything and not bringing bias into the room, even though we all do it? How do you how do you mitigate that so that way you aren't creating a potential path or outcome for a patient? Uh, and so, again, I think it's a along a spectrum. Uh, this is probably my personal experience, the height of where we've been in terms of trying to make sure that more of this stuff is coming out. And I know I personally see this podcast as a <laughs> means of saying, we've got to keep pushing and how are we going to get people involved and hear that message? So that way, if you can't get it in med school, well, maybe we're going to get a taste here and a little bit there so we can piece it together. So until we get something comprehensive. Yeah. I think yeah. the other thing I wonder is like, how have people been able to implement the trainings? I don't know if like there was a class that was like now mandated. I haven't really done research on like how the medical school education has shifted based on, for example, like George Floyd protests and Black Lives Matter resurgence and how they've been trying. I know they've been trying somehow to be better, but I wonder if people have been able to actually implement what they've been learning. Because one thing I heard from my students in that one class was maybe they have a class about like um, how to treat patients that are like, you know, be more culturally competent, for example. But then they go to actually be in clinic and in rotations and their attending is like like hurry up we don't have time for that like you know kind of just dismissing them from being able to practice so i wonder yeah. like give thoughts on that or has that has that shifted at all no there's been a lot of discussion about that and you bring it up and and i'll for the 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 listener notes that will come out so there's been a lot of interesting approaches to it Stanford did a pretty interesting study um the Stanford School, School of Medicine where they were like look one of the ways that we've got to that we've got to overcome a lot of the barriers and the mistrust that so many communities have of the medical industry because of historical wrongs was we just have to get out into the community like we just have to get out of here and we have to go into the community and then it was so now how do we create community scientists because we're an act we're a research institution how are we going to take the like we know that there's a huge disparity between particularly black and and um and or I forget black it's non-white participants in clinical studies mm. so it was well you have to go into the community and then you actually have to have a sponsor and they have to be able to to have the sponsor be part of articulating this is why we're doing this and then quite honestly having the community involved and saying oh no you can't do that mm. and and you know that's gonna kind of have effects and so it was a 
it was ultimately you know, this project was about the community scientist, um, but it was it was again what kind of applications occur so that way it's really the institution changing its behavior and most of it and almost everything I've read in the literature is get out of your you know it's great uh, I love the white coat everybody loves spending on their white coat but it's you got to get out of wherever you are and go into the communities that really need this and the institutions that have been most aggressive about that they've absolutely been able to better incorporate the teachings and learnings because now it's applicable right they're seeing the results with patients directly hmm. I think it's great that you mentioned it and even the way you said it of like go into the community but that doesn't mean that you are the one knocking people's doors. <laughs> That's yeah. the thing some people do. I'm like, now why are you talking to them? Because it's it's even more of a disconnect. Like, I think we said it's perfect of finding the community like champion, I guess for lack of better words, who can articulate your message and push it forward. I know for me, I'm a part of Delta Data Sorority Incorporated, and we have a part of it that's like Delta Research um, Education Foundation that works with, I think, the All of Us Foundation to the put, get basically more Black people enrolled in music studies and get our data in there as well. But like you said, there's a lot of pushback too of thinking about the past, you know, it, it hasn't <laughs> always been easy or we haven't always been respected, valued in these settings. So why would I want to participate? But like you said, it's really about finding someone who, in the community who can articulate that better than physicians can or whoever, you know, is in charge might be able to do that. Um, I think also one thing could be interesting is Right now, we do see a lot of programs like Girls with Code, Black Girls Code, Code with Classy, et cetera, who are trying to, specifically for women of color and just women in general, shape the new, those new community scientists in a sense. So I wonder if people actually will go from those programs, kind of like I'm doing, you know, go to college to get a degree, et cetera, and then come back to the community. That would obviously be ideal because then you're both a scientist and a community stakeholder. So I'm hoping that is kind of the direction we're heading in. Well, I think in general, that's the, that's the entire theory is, uh, you, you know, it, and that's really been the theory that's been documented uh, throughout, which is, you know, when people are like, well, why do we need more diversity in medicine? Well, it are it, it whether people are upset about it or not, the simple fact of the matter is Korean doctors uh, a lot of times will go into Korean communities. Mm -hmm. Why? There's just a natural trust. Black doctors go into black communities more frequently. It doesn't mean that it happens all the time, more frequently. And how do we solve our healthcare crisis of delivery and overcoming disparities? Well, the ultimate issue is, yeah, I think everybody's vision is that everybody's capable of doing, mm -hmm. doing these things. But part of our job is to build trust. And sometimes people building trust is you've had... It, you know, there are certain things, unfortunately, in this country that have that have occurred simply because we look similar to each other. Mm -hmm. And we have even if we don't have a shared life experience, we may have a similar background. And that's where people are basing their trust is give me an entryway. But we come in and you're right. But it happens all the time because you'll find this out in med school. We learn how to speak language, then it's all cool. Like we're speaking, we're speaking doctor to each other, and then we and then we go to the patients. We're like, you want to see how smart I am? Let me talk yep. like this, and they're like, like excuse me, help. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I came here for another problem. It sounds like you're talking to, you're right. talking at me, and I I don't I don't you know. You need to show me how smart you are by addressing my problem mm. um, and, and and listening to me and trusting. And, and those are all the things that we can build off of. So um, you uh, you're a living embodiment of why we uh, we need more 
women of color, we need more people of color um, in uh, in medicine. And I'm ecstatic to hear that you are continuing on your path. So before we get into, we start wrapping up, what's next for you? Good question. <laughs> so now I've graduated, yay. What I'm doing for the next, well, yes, until, honestly, I don't know the timeline, which is kind of the scary part, but also I guess I'm just going to lean into it, is working on Birth by Us full-time. So Right now, you know, we're launching and getting some people beta testing the product, which is really exciting. So it's kind of hard to tell what's going to happen after that. Hopefully that, you know, people like the product and we can move forward with raising and things like that. But we'll always, we'll see what kind of comes out of that. I'm also, I was awarded a Fulbright to go to Brazil in February. So I'm going to go there to Sao Paulo and research vaccine health, obviously. <laughs> um, and so my goal with that project is really couple different things. So I, I kind of highlighted this in the beginning of these a lot of problems of maternal health. Brazil has basically the same issue and I think for the same reason, but it's a little different because in Brazil, basically uh, everybody is mixed race to some degree. And the idea of racial, racial identity is very different there than it is in the US. It's less binary, I guess. And so part of the project is me actually just talking to black people and saying, you know, what does it mean for you to be black? Do you think you're black? So I think it'd be really interesting if like, I'm saying, okay, hey, I'm like being black. And they're like, I'm not black. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm confused. So that's the first step. But then also from there using data science and computer science to really analyze the data on births in Brazil to look for disparities and kind of try to see some kind of underlying potential correlations and things like that. And then actually creating tools um, in Portuguese with community stakeholders to help uh, Black mothers in Brazil improve outcomes and experiences. So very similar work to Birth by Us, but applied in the Brazilian context. At the same time, hopefully still working in Birth by Us and kind of seeing what we can do to keep scaling um, and growing in the U.S. as well. Jay, we need to go to work. I feel I feel <laughs> I feel pretty lazy right now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, that, that is such a remarkable, congratulations on the Fulbright. Thank you. Uh, that is uh, a really uh, outstanding accomplishment. So before we wrap up, I want to uh, ask you, what's a topic you would like to hear about um, or a speaker that you would like to hear from? And if you know them, can you help us get them? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a good, that's always the question to ask. So well done. Um, a topic I want to hear about. Hmm. I don't know if it's the topic as much as a person. I don't know if you know or have you heard of Joel Burvell? I don't say anything. He's like on TikTok a lot. Exactly. Yeah. He's really cool. And I think he's been getting a lot of hype specifically because he like, like we've been talking about this whole episode, takes things that are like in journal articles, in the news that are not uh, really understandable for the common audience and like breaks it down and just points out a theory that I didn't even know existed, right? And so I think he's one to, to talk and kind of, I guess, about maybe science communication. That could be an interesting topic there. Um, other ones, I have a friend, her, she's, her name is Dr. Vanessa Nicholson out of Tufts. She's working on like nutrition specifically for um, black communities um, and like access and stuff like that. Could be interesting. She also just did a project on, and it's, it's Pride Month, this is actually a good one, it's a good connection. She did a project on family planning for LGBTQ um, black people. So I can put you in contact oh, with her. I, yeah, you were, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Joel is, 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 I don't know him. I'm speaking him in his first name, but I know he is, yeah, he's super popular because he's, he's Mr. TikTok. Um, but, uh, I, I, I would love to have both on. I think both are fantastic ideas and we will do what we can at, particularly with your help. Um, Mercy, thank you so much for your time. This has been a fabulous conversation. Um, I, I cannot tell you how much fun it was listening to, again, your enthusiasm, but also simply your, your level of expertise in being able to execute this. And I wish you all the best in your subsequent endeavors. And if there's any way that, uh, that Jay or I can support you, please don't hesitate to reach out because you are, are somebody that uh, I'm going to look forward to in her future in medicine. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, I was actually about to say we're going to have to have you back, you know, later date. I'd love to hear about right. Brazil or even further down the road where, where you're at and what you're doing. I, I bet there's going to be a lot more to, to tell. For sure. Absolutely. I'm kind of going to see if I kind of follow the path I've been, I guess, sprinkling this whole episode. <laughs> <laughs> That's been awesome. Thank you for joining us for Crossing the Chasm, a sound physicians podcast. Make sure to subscribe to Crossing the Chasm wherever you listen to podcasts. Sound Physicians is a multi-specialty medical group committed to improving quality and reducing the cost of healthcare for patients in communities across the country. Learn more at www.soundphysicians.com.